This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Comedian vs. Economist. Uh, We demystify the world of money and help you and hopefully me get a handle on the bigger picture my name's Adam, and I'm joined, as always, by my older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Welcome, Thomas. How's Thanks, it going? Thanks, Adam. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. Oh, very good. Uh, we are trying a new, uh, a new studio setup today, so hopefully uh, you might have noticed a few little audio issues sneaking in last week. So um, I think if, we, if the audio makes it through this week, it should be crystal clear, but there is a strong chance, given the complexity of what we've cobbled together here that there'll be no audio at all so if you're hearing this uh congratulations and welcome uh we're in the home stretch now of our introductory series where thomas uh helps all of us i think hopefully uh explains to us the world of macroeconomics the world of money what makes it tick we've covered off uh really the basics in the first few episodes uh we had economics 101 really for the to get us started we've covered off things like the economics dashboard you know, if you're interested in any of that, you can always go back and, and I would encourage you to go back and start at episode one. Um, the last couple of weeks, we got into how macroeconomics affects things like the share prices, how macroeconomics affects the property market. Uh, and so we're really now, we're into episode seven, into the home stretch, as I say. And uh, I'm actually really excited about this episode today because it's, uh, it's a topic that's close to my heart. Uh, we're, talking, we're talking cash. And Thomas, I want to ask you the question, is cash dead? Oh, provocative. Wow, we're just going to jump mm. straight there. Wow. Um, no, it's not dead, but it may be dying. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's becoming, you know, being replaced by digital currencies, digital versions of money. That's, uh, as, in, as in cryptocurrencies mm. or as in just sort of um, not paper anymore? No, just not paper, not paper. I mean, cash, cash, what we call hard currency, has been in decline for a while now with the rise of credit cards. And particularly in countries like Australia, it's, you know, we're pretty advanced. The, you know, pretty much where I live, every shop, everywhere I shop has a card reader. Yeah. I don't really actually carry cash around anymore. It's annoying cash now. Like, I mean, for me, I don't like it. I don't like having to carry cash. But there are a few things I still need it for, which just become annoyances in my life so like uh i played i played social indoor soccer last night right and the the cash bag that we have to collect the funds needs cash and so it's always a stop at the service station on the way to the game to be like ah man i gotta go get 20 dollars out of an atm at a service station and they're the only one still that pay that charge the 2.50 fee uh you know so yeah 
annoying is what cash is, has become. Yeah, yeah, that's how they get you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, like there are some people who are very alarmed at the death of cash and the push for a cashless society. There are. Um, I was in Harvey Norman the other mm. day and this guy was like, um, I, had to buy, I had to print some photos for my kids and I needed to print like two photos. <laughs> That's all I needed. And I get to the counter and the guy's like, what was it, like 18 cents? <laughs> I, said, I said, can I pay that with card? And he's like, well, no, because it's 18 cents. Um, and I'm well, okay, we'll just give, can you not just give it to me for free? Because 18, let's not squabble about 18 cents, right? And he's like, well, no, I can't do that either. And I said... I said, why can't I pay with card? He said, because it's a $2 minimum. And I'm like, well, this A, that kind of breaks the whole the whole model. Like, unless everything can be paid for in cash, then it's already broken. Um, but I also made the comment to him. I'm like, man, I can't wait until cash is gone. And he was like, what? Not me, man. I'm staying with cash forever. And it did get me thinking, I'm not sure that's the guy working behind the counter at Harvey Norman's call that we're going to stay with cash forever. I don't know. Will we be able to use cash forever? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So there's sort of two elements. Like one's the technological side of it. Like is it ever going to be practical to fully have everyone using um, digital like versions of the currency like cards? Mm. So, you know, like I've got an uncle who, um, you know, it doesn't have a phone. So he, for him, paying on a phone or a credit card is not really practical. He's still very reliant on cash and it's very unlikely given his age that he's going to be able to go cashless. That's going to be difficult for him. So there's sort of like a technological barrier there. But that's probably, you know, surmountable in the near in the near term. And if you've got to carry a phone around, you've got to carry cash around. You've got to carry something around. That, that reality hasn't changed. I don't understand that argument though. Like it's not that hard. Does he not bank? Could he not go into the bank and they could give him... He doesn't have to have a phone. It doesn't have to be like... He's still using a checkbook. A checkbook. So, For our younger yeah. listeners out there, <laughs> that's a bit of paper <laughs> where you can write down the promise of some money and give it to someone and then take it into a bank and then the bank will, will <laughs> handle the, the passing of the money. Is that, that's oh, more or less... It sounds so ridiculous when you put it like that. <laughs> write down i promise you some money <laughs> most places don't but accept apparently I, I i had a guy in the co our co-working space the other day who works for square for the square reader oh, yeah. company and he's saying in america like people still pay rent with checkbooks really like he he, he laughed when he, we got there and and said oh, i don't need a checkbook but then couldn't pay rent unless he had a checkbook wow guess how much money you've yeah. got when someone gives you a check none You've got absolutely nothing <laughs> until you go to the bank and the bank validates it and goes, yeah, that's that's legit. We can now move some money. Well, this is very interesting because that gets to the heart of what money is. Right. That money is effectively a promise. That like this money itself has no intrinsic value. You know, you, if you melt down some the coins, you might get like a fraction of something, some kind of value out mm. of it. But the the polymer notes, like they're effectively worthless outside of a system that supports a shared understanding of what the value of that money is. Yeah, but that's a much bigger system with much more rigor and control around it than the check system, where someone's just writing some some ink on a bit of paper so that they can go and get the money that's in a controlled system. 
Well, yeah, but th- but this is it, it. That's that's the point. It's what is the mechanism that enforces that collective belief in the value of the currency? And and this is sort of where where Bitcoin is interesting, is because Bitcoin has stepped away from the the institutions that um, help in anchor the understanding of what a, a ma- money is worth. So typically, in you know, in the Australian context, that's the government and the Reserve Bank of Australia. They're helping people understand what the value of, of a $50 note actually is mm. and what can be exchanged for that $50 note. Um, and that's supported by, yeah, this sort of social infrastructure. Bitcoin has sort of, and the cryptocurrency movement has sort of stepped away from that. So we don't need a centralized body determining what helping us understand what the value is we'll determine it for ourselves it can be determined collectively by the people is sort of the argument that right that but you can still but it's still a store it's a store of value right that's that's the thing that i've heard about bitcoin it's it's still a store of value in a sense that it has a price attached to it but you're saying it's not controlled by the government and whoever else which is which is enforcing the value of the of the store, it, like it's a store of money in the same way that the paper notes a store of money, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, or or a check is a store of store of value. Mm. Or an IOU. Like it helps carry. Yeah, or an <laughs> IOU, or just yeah, me just saying I'll pay you fifty dollars later. Yeah, that that'll promise. be the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get. I'm getting around to it. <laughs> it it is a it is a promise. So money, like a, you can think about money as, well, I think about it as crystallized labor, energy. So you do some work. Sounds magical. It, you, yeah, it is. It's kind of it's, it's a magical dish. labor it's, energy. <laughs> do you is. carry it in a sphere in the palm of your hand, like some floating <laughs> orb? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what you got there, fella? <laughs> oh, this is crystallized labor energy <laughs> that I've harvested from the from the energy mines in Arbitron Seven. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is it's it's yeah. You're making some good gags, but this is kind of the it's, it gets to the essence of what money is. Like it's it the creation of money was a revolution mm. because it allowed us to to carry value through time that I could that I could go and create something, create some labor, mm. then lock that the value of that labor down into something that I could then use at a later time. So like if you grew some fresh vegetables, for example, your ability to harvest the value of, of your labor from growing those fresh vegetables was limited to the life of the vegetables. Yeah. But when you exchange those vegetables for money, you can now then use, you know, de- deploy that value at any time in the future. Yeah, okay. So it, it sort of allowed humanity to sort of like transcend time to a, de- to a degree. Using crystallized labor energy. Like we transcended time. This is yeah. not a science fiction podcast for those listening at home. This is uh, this no. is economics. So yeah, so it's it's storing the value. So then it's storing the value, and it's it's enforced by the government. The government saying it's gonna it's mm. sort of guaranteed to be worth a certain amount. You've still got things like inflation, which if you're keeping if you're keeping cash under a pillow, then you say it's you know it's used to store value over time that's going to be eroded mm. presumably because of inflation which we co- we covered off in earlier episodes um Mm-mm. i mean it does it doesn't have to be governments i mean the, the key point for for a money to work it it needs to function like a social construct mm. it needs everyone to have an understanding of what that money is worth now a government the government and the rba can help you know 
that the the construction of that social construct and the maintenance of that social construct. So the RBA has an agenda to the, the stability of the currency, which in practical terms means that inflation doesn't get out of control. Because if inflation got out of control, then if I give you $50 today, you, may, you might be like, well, I don't know that this is going to be worth all that much in a year. Um, okay, no worries, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the audio quality is better, but maybe because <laughs> someone's just go around to read Tom's electricity meter. We must be pumping out some some heavy duty podcasting at the moment because we're uh, we've created a spike in the energy market. <laughs> man, no, that's the government man. They're just trying to shut us down. As soon as you start talking bitcoins, cryptocurrencies, yeah. they just like, you know what you know what it solved that if you gave him some cash. He, he would have no more questions, I guarantee it. Here's 50 bucks, mate, on your way. <laughs> Nothing to see here. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, okay. What were we saying? Yeah, okay. So the RBA is trying to anchor the, the shared value of it. So, like, if, you, if you've got $50, you know, and there's inflation's rampant, you don't know that the $50 is going to be worth $50 a week from now or a month from now. And so your faith in the currency starts to break down and you'll be like, I'm not willing to ex- exchange my labor or my goods or services for this money because I don't know that it's going to be worth what it's, what it's sp- supposed to be worth. Mm. And so that, you need that faith in money. Money only works if everyone has faith in the money. And that faith is generated in our context, by the Australian government and by the Reserve Bank of Australia, by the Reserve Bank trying to stay on top of inflation and making sure it has a stable value, and by the government saying, like, this is what it's worth, we can enforce that this is legal tender, shops need to accept legal tender, and you you have to pay your taxes in this currency. Right. And so that guarantees its value. And then everyone just accepts that. You don't need to hear the government making that promise all the time. Most people don't actually even think, remember that the government is making that promise. Mm. And that's what's supporting the currency. They just accept that that's what it is. But it's not until you've lived in a, in a place where a currency is breaking down that you suddenly realize how important that is. And it's why, why Bitcoin's really interesting because Bitcoin's saying, well, we don't need that stuff. We can step away from that infrastructure. We, can, we, can, we don't need a centralized body telling us what the, the value of the currency is worth. We can collectively determine it. We can decentralize that process. To me, I'm not sure that, that it actually functions like that. Like, to me, that's a bit of a long bow. Mm. All right. I've got more questions, but we're going to uh, pause there, grab a quick uh, word from our sponsors, and then we'll come back to talk more about cash, what's happening with cash, and Bitcoin. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Comedian vs. Economist. Uh, we're talking cash on the show today. Thomas, is cash dead? You didn't really answer the question, to be honest, before the break. Um, ducking and weaving. Ducking and weaving, as, as you've tended to do so often throughout this, this podcast series so far. But um, we, had, we touched a little bit on Bitcoin, but I want to know if, if cash goes out of society... Let, let's say we we could get rid of it. What takes its place? Is it just digital currency? Is it is it cryptocurrencies? Because the the big concern for me is if we get rid of cash, um, there's a whole economy that relies on cash being around. There's a there's a whole swag of people that use cash every day, and that's that's their preferred method. That the Harvey Norman guy that I mentioned before, um, you know, it's his preference. He wants to pay for everything in cash. Can we get rid of it? Is it dead? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question about why people prefer cash. Like, they might be just trying to avoid paying tax. I think that's a fair chance. You know, and yeah, it's probably a high <laughs> chance. Probably most people currently just want to avoid paying tax. And, you know, like there's a, you know, it's a collective decision that we have to make. Like, do we want to continue to support people who don't want to pay tax? Mm. You know, do we want to enable that? As someone who's that's, not that's, on the rece- receiving side of that transaction, most more often than not, uh, it doesn't bother me if we get rid of cash. But I know a lot of people who it would bother. Let's just say that. Uh, not naming <laughs> names, of course. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, but, there are, but, but I think what would happen to society if you took it away? If you took away that ability, um, I don't know, maybe people, are, maybe people are surviving by virtue of the fact that they don't have to pay cash, uh, pay tax. I don't know. It, do we want to support that? That's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, we have we have tax-free threshold. So, like, if you're, you know, really poor and not earning very much and you, you're just working in a cash industry, you, you know, you should be protected to a degree that you don't pay tax until you're earning a particular amount. But if, like, you know, I went to a knee specialist and they only accepted cash. A knee you know, specialist? And this is a f- yeah, a knee like specialist. Like a medical professional. Like a medical a profession physio. with, like, four people at the counter. Yeah, no, like knee surgery for old people on the had to go to the Gold Coast, and they're only accepting cash. And I was, I was a bit like, "Come on, seriously, you guys aren't aren't paying tax?" Jeez, <laughs> you know. So Under like the table oh, surgery. Yeah, you sure you're on the Gold Coast like, and not somewhere in the <laughs> Philippines? <laughs> My <orphan. laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. So there is that, and yeah, I like. I mean, I'm not going to get too angry about it, but like, I don't. I don't think that's that's. For me, that's not a strong reason not to go cash. Mm. And I do have some sympathy for the argument that, and it's probably what your mate at Harvey Norman was worried about, is that if all your money's in the bank, mm. that you can get switched off at some point. That's the sort of the, the phrase that they use, that the government just seizes all your digital assets and then you're cut off from society. I think he was also worried about the traceability, where if, oh, yeah. if your bank, uh, if your money is all... Um, is all in digital form, then everywhere mm. you go, everywhere you spend is traceable and trackable. Um, so I think he was maybe coming at it from a, maybe a privacy standpoint as well and saying like, mm. if I pay with cash, I can make anonymous transactions all over the place. Nobody knows my buying habits, for example. And that information, that's really useful to, you know, we've seen it with Facebooks and Googles of the world where um, it's mm-hmm. proven to be incredibly um, valuable information to have if you know what, people are buying and what they're interested in so i think that was maybe his other concern um 
Yeah, I think I think that's legitimate. Yeah, and I but I think probably most people aren't thinking about it, and I think convenience will win in the end. Yeah, you know, like like I was just saying, it's it's kind of a hassle at the moment. You know, even to sort of have cash around. Yeah, but is so getting back to then Bitcoin is is Bitcoin mm. potentially the the replacement for cash in that sense where it's not traceable if uh, if if vendors start accepting Bitcoin payments, if you can, um, I don't know, pay for things without, you know, anonymously using Bitcoin, then is that is that the use case for Bitcoin? Yeah, it could be. It could be. I mean, th- I think that's, that is one of the, you know, it's an argument for Bitcoin. Whether that's enough of an argument for, you know, for replacing the currency, which, you know, the sort of the Bitcoin proponents say this is going to happen. We're going to overturn the global currency and just live off, live off Bitcoin. If that, you know, people wanting privacy of their transactions is enough of a motivation to overcome all the, the barriers and the hurdles to adoption. I don't, I don't see it. I don't have that much faith in it, but it is one of the, one of the potential, potential. Well, I think, pluses. yeah, it's early days. I mean, someone's going to make it easier. Like I picture this kind of world, potentially where everyone's just got like a bitcoin wallet on their phone just like their normal wallet and they can and they're just slinging bitcoin around and you know you go out for dinner with friends and you're like well just just point two bitcoins each thanks uh table so like there's there's technology barriers i think at the moment but but it's very early days in a technology perspective too isn't it sure sure yeah yeah no totally but it's also you know, you like what's to stop PayPal having end-to-end encryption? Like, if that's the only, if that's if that's the only rationale, like, well, you're then then you're then trusting PayPal to keep that information secure. You're, um, you know, I mean, the, mm. as far as I know, PayPal should have end-to-end encryption already. <laughs> um, it's about yeah, it's. Right. <laughs> 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 I don't want to get into I don't want to get into encryption, but uh, but if if. PayPal are not doing that, then there's a strong recommendation for them, but I'm pretty sure they are. So um, it's not really, yeah, it's not really about the security of the, the transaction. It's more the privacy and who's who's looking after it. As soon as PayPal are involved, whether they got yeah. end-to-end encryption or not, they know what you're doing. Mm. So um, Yeah, someone does. Someone does, yeah. yeah. Whereas at the moment, you know, some guy comes around and mows my lawn, I give him 50 bucks or whatever it is. Nobody knows he was here. <laughs> A ghost. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So, yeah, I, so Bitcoin's probably not going to re- be the replacement for cash in the short term, but cash is probably not going to go away in the short term either. It's, it's, I don't, I don't imagine it's a short term thing. No, 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 we we still we still need that. There's still enough people, you know, who are reliant on it. Um, it'll just sort of phase out. I mean, it's we kind of like a one and two cent coin like the way that they got phased out they just stopped being useful mm. people stopped using them and eventually you know there's a hand, handful of people still using them and the government just says i oh, will just phase it out and just deal with a few people being upset about it i'd be more than happy i'd be more than happy for coins to go that route now i feel like yeah it's a slippery slope <laughs> coins Coin. <laughs> well i don't know even if they made like bring back the two dollar note that's what i'd that's what i'd like i've got one oh, of these right, like right. i've got one of these wallets that's just like a a bit of uh, metal that holds some cards. Coins are just annoying. If someone gives me coins, mm. I'm like, what am I going to do with these? I just give them to the kids um, mm. in exchange for labour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so before we finish up, um, 
I did just want to touch on on um, macroeconomics and how that relates to currencies, I suppose, and and dive just if we could just touch a little bit on um, currencies and and what are we thinking about if we're thinking about investing in currency. Um, I know like there's a lot of say forex trading and stuff that goes on, which has always been scary to me. I've seen that, and I'm just like. Someone mentioned the word leverage and I'm just like, so you could potentially be on the hook for like a million bucks. I don't know, to me, it put me, put me right off. But any, anything in particular we're thinking about in terms of investing in currencies? Uh, I, think, I think probably, yeah, go in with your guard up, definitely. Like I, I, don't, I don't think currency trading is something I would recommend to people like yourself. <laughs> For example, <laughs> that's okay because we're not here to give any financial <laughs> advice, so you don't no, have to worry about yeah. recommending anything to anyone. So, the thing the thing about currency trading is, yeah, you're not you don't invest in currencies; you speculate. So you're not, you know, you, currencies don't offer you a return. You just hope that you invest in one side of the currency pair and it goes up relative to the other side, and then you bring it bring the money back and you've made made more mm. money. So it's 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 a speculative play. Thing is, I used to work on a um, foreign investment, tra- uh, foreign exchange trading floor, and so this was one bank, and there were sixty people who just watched uh, the currency market oh. and tried to understand where currency prices were going, and they were trading on the pips. So it's like you know, so the Aussie dollar is seventy point seven four US cents mm. or whatever it is, um, and they would try and trade, try and you know use huge leverage and then try and make money on the dollar moving from 70.74 to 70.76. Yeah, wow. Or something like that. And, you know, so they're like, so there's a lot of very smart people, highly trained with sophisticated technology at their fingertips in this market trying to trade it. And so you need to be aware that if you've got it downloaded an app and you're just <laughs> going to get in on that market, that's who you're going up against. Um, yeah, right. And... They are, they are notoriously hard to predict. They, they are because they, are, they, they move with so many different sort of factors. Yeah, and, and the actual like the, the use value of, of the currency relative to the sort of speculative trading that goes on in the, in the trading floors is sort of about like 10, 5, 10% or something. Like people actually, I need to buy some Aussie coal, so I need some Aussie dollars. Mm. Like people who like that account for a very small fraction of, of day-to-day volumes. Right, it's mostly just people buying and selling the actual currency to try and make money on on the trade. Not, not That's right. Last time I looked, I think that's true. So, yeah, if, if you're getting into a market like that where it, it, it's a bit of a casino, like, in, you, you know, you're treating it like a casino because you don't actually have any vested interest in what happens to the currency you just want to get on the right side of the trade and make some money so no but if you're if you're going into it like any other investment if you're you might have some fundamentals you might be like well i'm forecasting say joe biden winning the u.s election recently for example um you're forecasting that gonna that that to happen and because of that you know that um his policies align with certain whatevers and that's likely going to lower the value of the US dollar, for example, relative to Australia. So with some of that that information, you might go, well, I'm making this call to buy some currency or to invest in currency with a similar sort of analysis, aren't you, to what you would go into? I mean, I don't think we should overestimate how much analysis I put into my share buying. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In terms of, you know, you mentioned it being a casino. (laughs) 
I immediately thought to my share portfolio. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, no, look, I mean, you, you can do that and you might get it right. You might. Yeah, I, like, I think it's, I think it's, a, it's degrees difficult, more difficult. This is my, okay, this is just my subjective right. opinion now, but it's degrees more mm. difficult to pick currency movements reliably than it is to find a good company, invest in a good company. Yeah, fair enough. And so when we're thinking about currency investments, are we thinking about Bitcoin? Is that a currency or are we thinking is, is that, is that more of, is that more akin to gold, for example, which seems to be the the most obvious uh, parallel that we've already got, which is... So I worked at the Central Bank of Australia, in the Reserve Bank of Australia. I studied game theory at university and I wrote for a... I wanted to understand the crypto space, so I wrote for a crypt... Let's not turn this into a bragging no, session. I think everyone's... <laughs> it's I'm just laying out the context here. <laughs> yeah, well, you're laying out a fair bit of context. <laughs> Can't help it if <laughs> we get it. You're an economist. No, no, but I also I wanted to understand the crypto space, so I spent a year writing for the crypto, right. for a crypto investor. Oh, okay. All I'm saying is like, right. so I'm coming. I'm not. I'm not just some like. There's a lot of people go. I don't get crypto. It's mm. there's bitcoins. Bitcoins a scam. I don't get it. But like, mm. I, so that's not where I'm coming from. But I'm I'm still okay. highly skeptical about cryptos and Bitcoin in particular. Um. And one of the things you get when, when I got into the space is there's just a flood of garbage people writing about cryptos who really don't know what they're talking about. And there's just a lot of fluff um, there. Mm. And what, one of the things that sort of comes out to me is there's a lot of good partial arguments for Bitcoin, but you can't stack partial arguments and make a single good argument. So like Bitcoin is kind of like this sort of thing. It's like some people say, yeah, it's, it's digital gold. It's a store of value. And it's... A currency and it has transactional value. These things are these things are completely different. Just because they're partially a bit of both of those, you can't stack that together and make a single good argument. Um, right. So does it function like gold? Well, again, like gold, gold is gold. Is, it rests on a social construct as well. Gold's only valuable because we all agree it's valuable. It does have some industrial use, and Bitcoin doesn't have that going for it. But again, gold f- rests on a on a social construct but it's it's millennia old now that that social construct bitcoin does it rest on a social contract it's building one is it how endurable is it how durable is it i don't know Mm. like it's not it's not clear to me and is that why we've seen the volatility in in the bitcoin because because it doesn't have any of that underlying historical you know you mentioned you know the constructs around gold and whatever um is that why? But gold's been volatile too. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, volatility is tricky to talk about with currencies because it's always in a pair. So, you know, so like if Bitcoin appreciates relative to the US dollar, is it that Bitcoin's gone up or is it because the US dollar has gone down? And this, so with volatility, like if it's, is it all over the place? Is that because Bitcoin's all over the place or is it because the US dollar's all over the place because there's money printing and all this sort of stuff? It. I think it's fair to say it's because Bitcoin's all over the place. That would be my guess too, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> unless unless the US dollar uh, happened to increase by four hundred percent when I wasn't watching, <laughs> or, or decrease, sorry, but yeah, then I think Bitcoin's definitely the one that's swinging around like a. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, like, so yeah, it's 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 a bit of a stretch to say to me that it's digital gold. But the thing about like actual gold is we don't use it like a currency. You don't go and actually buy stuff with it. 
And a lot of people, mm. you know, in the same breath say that the value of Bitcoin is that one day we'll all be using Bitcoin as a transactional currency. And so it's a bit like, well, which is it? Is it a store of value like gold or is it a transactional currency like the dollar? And just because it can possibly be both in some imagined universe doesn't mean that that's a, that's a solid argument for it. Mm. All right. Watch this space, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get the thing about Bitcoin is that it does, like like all money, is it does come down to a consensus. It's it's a social construct. It's only value what we all collectively think it's worth. And then, you, so you're talking about, you know, a consensus reality, a shared consensus reality. So could Bitcoin become the global dominant currency? I don't see a path towards it, but it's conceivable. You know, if we all just decide Bitcoin's the thing, it, it's, it's conceivable. Hmm. Very good. All right. Well, that does us for this week. Uh, if you want to hear more of Thomas's credentials and some of his other qualifications, you can tune in next week. I'm sure he's going to share more. I'm going to need my own <laughs> podcast for that, I think. Uh, once again, thanks for listening. We are coming to the end, uh, as I mentioned, of this introductory series that we're doing to macroeconomics. So uh, I think we've got one more to go. We're going to talk about uh, modern monetary theory, which... Uh, I'm struggling to get my head around already just hearing the title, um, and then we and then we're going to rip into some uh, some more general stuff and, and more topical stuff. So um, really appreciate you guys tuning in out there. Um, thanks for all your support. Of course, you can always email us questions. Uh, you can send an email to cve at equitymates.com. Uh, also check out the website at equitymates.com forward slash cve. Uh, shout out again to our our good friends over at Equity, Equity Mates for all their support. Uh, you should definitely go and check out their podcast too. If you're enjoying this one, uh, head over to uh, wherever you get your podcasts and, and check out Equity Mates Investing Podcast. Um, if you like the show, be sure to leave us a review, uh, give us a rating, and we'll see you again next week. See you all. This podcast is a production of Equity Mates Media. Any views expressed by the podcast hosts or any guests are their own and do not represent the views of Equity Mates Media or any other employer or associated organisation. Always remember, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of this podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to our disclaimer page where you can find resources to search for a registered financial professional near you.